So today, uh, we are, uh, we're at a good place here in Breshit, in Genesis, uh, because we're at a turning point. And so after today, we shift gears into Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, uh, you know, and the high holy days and being prepared for all that and observing that. And uh, so we are uh, in chapters 35 and 36 of Genesis. It's sort of like the end and the beginning, right? Uh, we have a, uh, two specific genealogies. One is the, uh, uh, the 12 sons of Israel, and then we have Esau's uh, children, okay, Esau's descendants. And, uh, and then in chapter 37, this, it's the story of the 12 sons told through the, the story of Joseph, right? So really what we have today is sort of the end of the Jacob and Esau saga, the, the end of uh, the focus on Jacob and and, uh, and all of that. And then we come to uh, the last part of Breshit, the last part of Genesis, which also is a genealogy. We'll, we'll see that in, a, in a, probably the beginning of October. Uh, and that is the, um, the story of the 12 sons and their interactions and the conclusion of Breshit. Okay, so... Uh, last week we uh, talked about that one of the darkest, saddest chapters in the Bible, that being chapter 34, the story of Dina and and uh, and all that takes place there. Uh, and uh, you know, we certainly uh, said there that that all the people, all the responders there, nobody rose to the uh, to the occasion exactly in the right way, right? Uh, and we talked about that. You can listen to that. But here now in chapter 35, notice the Lord does not dwell on this. He doesn't dwell on this. He says, Jacob, arise and go. Okay? Arise and go. So, see, in, in, the, in the, um, the context of the uh, narratives, of the stories, and in what is being conveyed is really, it's, it's the trials and tribulations of Jacob, okay? So what we see in chapter 34 is great sadness. Remember, in chapter 33 was great hope and really good things in the, um, the uh, uh, coming together of Jacob and Esau, the reconciliation of Jacob and Esau. Then in chapter 34, you have this real dark chapter, right? Uh, and now in chapter 35, God says to Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel, and live there, and make an altar there uh, to God, who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So now God tells him to go up to Bethel. Uh, and we could make an argument and say, this is, where it, this is what he was supposed to do. You know, he wasn't even supposed to stop over in Shechem. Uh, but he did but now God says, go to Bethel. And remember, Bethel is the place where he interacted with God before he left, right? Uh, to go to Padan Aram and find a wife and, and all that. Uh, and now he is to return to Bethel, okay? Uh, and live there and make an altar there to God, right, who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household, and to all who were with him, 
Put away the foreign gods which are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your clothes, and change your garments. So this is a very interesting. We see here, one of the things we learn is that there is this issue with household idols, uh, right? As they were called, foreign gods. Okay, put away the foreign gods which are among you. Clearly, uh, we see this here, and we're going to see it later on, uh, and this is really a hint of what we read about in Joshua and Judges and Samuel and Kings, is that the Israelites, our ancestors, had a very difficult time separating themselves from the culture around them. In fact, they never really completely did until after the Babylonian captivity. You, you, could, make, you could make an argument that they constantly had this issue. In fact, there are some uh, scholars who would teach, we would say erroneously, that, that the uh, Israelites were never a monotheistic people until after the Babylonian captivity because they never really separated themselves from idolatry. We hear teaching about separating yourself from idolatry, but there was constantly uh, this problem. And it might surprise us here that in the family of Jacob, Jacob has to say, put away the foreign gods. Here they were in covenant relationship uh, with the Lord, but God uh, still, but Jacob has to say, uh, put away the foreign gods. So, you know, that is a, a sobering reality, I think, for all of us. Uh, you know, this issue of putting away foreign gods, we may not think of ourselves that way. And from time to time, we hear a good message on that, putting away the foreign gods, determining what are the gods in our lives. But uh, it is important, especially at this time of year, for us to uh, really do that personal inventory and ask ourselves, you know, have I attached myself to any foreign gods? You know, now some people do that pretty overtly, and it's quite obvious. But for most of us, it's sort of a, a something that we don't see, and we really have to pray, "Search me, O God, search my heart." You know, where uh, where are my attachments to foreign objects, foreign beings? They don't have to be things made out of wood and stone. They could be ideas. They could be institutions. They could be. It could be a lot of different things. What's pulling our strings? What is it that makes us uh, 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 hopeful or not hopeful or joyful or not joyful? Uh, uh, are we really seeking first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto us? Really, what, you know, where are we standing in our relationship with the, with the king, with, with the Lord? Uh, is really uh, what, this is, uh, what this is about. What's also interesting here is um, that, uh, you know, ever since the beginning, at least the way the text lays it out for us, very important, about this, the stories in Abraham's life and Isaac's life and Jacob's life, they are constantly messing up, constantly uh, messing up. Now, they're not saying, I don't believe in you, I become an agnostic. Uh, or I'm an atheist, or I've decided uh, to join a cult or something. No, uh, they're faithful to, the God, to God, to the God of Israel, but yet not always making right choices, not always making right choices. And here you see, right, right here, uh, that uh, 
put away the foreign gods that are among you. It's amazing that Jacob had to say that, right? And purify yourselves and change your garments. Uh, And so uh, along with uh, the physical act of putting away the foreign gods, there was the physical act of purification, the physical act of, uh, of mikvah, of uh, cleansing oneself with, with water, uh, and then changing clothes. Sort of the same idea uh, that uh, remove, remove everything that uh, uh, reminds you or, or is associated uh, or is contaminated uh, by uh, idolatry, right? Uh, and so they had to prepare themselves uh, to meet with God. They were going to meet with God here at, uh, at Bethel, and a major event is about to take place. Uh, and, uh, and so, we, you know, that, that is a, um, just a, a great uh, a, a statement there about how the covenant people have to prepare themselves. And so it is certainly true uh, for us, right, in our own lives uh, and it is amazing uh, that in the New Covenant, we don't read uh, so much about uh, literally changing your clothes, but we do read that, uh, that as, a, as, a, uh, as a picture or a metaphor, you have changing clothes in a, in a number of different passages, right? Uh, you know, even, even before we turn there, I have to say this. You know, there is, in the book of Zechariah, in the third chapter, we don't have time to turn there, but you have Joshua, but not the Joshua, the famous Joshua. We'll say it, we'll call it the other Joshua, right? Just like a friend of mine. You all know who Michael Brown is, the apologist? Well, there is a Jewish believer that leads a Messianic congregation in the San Fernando Valley, and his name's Michael Brown. So whenever I see him, he's a friend of mine, I say, oh, the other Michael Brown. You know, uh, and uh, and so here in Zechariah you have ah, the other Joshua, right? He was the high priest, right? Uh, and uh, we read uh, about him uh, being like Israel, and he has to take off all of his clothes, change his clothes, uh, uh, and and again for the very same reason, you know, uh, that God is not finished with you, uh, Israel. After, after the Babylonian captivity. And so the priest Joshua is like a picture of, the, of all of the Israelites, all, all the Jewish people, and he has to change his clothes. Uh, and so uh, that, of course, comes from uh, the, the Torah and a variety of passages where you see it, but you see it right here. But in the New Covenant, there are a number of passages about putting on, putting off and putting on. Uh, and I, let me just read a few of them. Because I think, uh, again, this is a good time of year for us to be remembering this. This is a great moment in Jacob's life of, and of, of his family of repentance. You know, of, of putting away, of, of literally turning around and, and doing physical things, removing things uh, that, uh, that get in the way. And, and so, you know, repentance is turning the other way and, and walking in a different path and and walking in the way of the Lord, re- repentance, uh, very, very important. And it's really being described there. So now here in uh, Romans chapter 13, in verses uh, 12 to 14, it says uh, here, uh, let's see. The night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside 
the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Put off and put on. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, nor in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, Yeshua the Messiah, and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its, to its, uh, to its lusts. And so this issue of put on, put off and put on. Put on the armor of light. The armor of light is described as a way of life. How we are to, uh, how we are to uh, live. Uh, and it is a, a way of demonstrating repentance. Stop doing this. Do this. Stop living that way. Live this way. Uh, and uh, so very, very important, right? Uh, put on the armor of light, just like with Jacob. Change your clothes. Put away the, the, uh, the foreign gods. Right? Then there is uh, in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, again, putting off and putting on. Uh, let's see, verse 20. But you do not learn Messiah in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, by the way, I can't help it. Notice it doesn't say heard of him. And it doesn't say have been taught about him. Okay? Sometimes we substitute those things for having a relationship with God. But it doesn't say that. It says having heard him and having been taught in him. You know, in a relationship with him. Right? Just as truth is in Yeshua that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. And then you read a way of life, like things to do, the way to live. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each of you, uh, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not, let the, do not give the devil an opportunity. And then it goes on about stealing. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Uh, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Messiah has forgiven you. Uh, and then he goes on to say, walk in love. That, that big five there in your Bible is really not in the right place. Uh, and walk in love. Uh, be imitators of us, he says. Be imitators of God uh, of, as beloved children. So there is a different way to live. That's what's going on here in chapter 35. Okay, we're going on to Bethel. Put away all of that, right? Uh, because there's going to be this encounter with God. And then you're familiar in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, where we read uh, here in verse 11, Put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Right? Uh, and so put on the armor of light. Put on the armor of God. Uh, put on Yeshua. There is a different way to conduct ourselves. I, you know, the word deportment comes to mind. You know, uh, as Messiah followers, we're called to have a different deportment, a different way of carrying ourselves, 
a different way of looking and of, and of interacting and of behaving. That is not, uh, uh, it, it's not just in our heads, our faith, uh, or not just in our feelings, in our heart, but there is a way of life that goes along with it. And as Messiah followers, when we start looking raggedy, you know what I mean by that. I'm not talking about our clothes and all that. I'm talking about the way we conduct ourselves. What we end up doing is cutting ourselves off from fellowship with God and the, and the power of the empowerment of the Ruach. We're cutting ourselves off uh, when we get lackadaisical uh, in that way. And this is demonstrated in Israel by all of the problems that ensue with the people once they're in the land. And ultimately, they leave the land. They leave the land because they have uh, uh, forfeited the power of God, uh, obedience, by not uh, putting on what is right and putting on the Torah way of life, which is what Paul is saying in all those passages. Because what is fascinating is that everything he says about how you should put, what you should put on, just read Deuteronomy. You know, you know what I mean? And, and you have it all there. Uh, uh, pretty, pretty much. And he's telling them this is, the way, uh, this is the way of life. But you know, there's more. In uh, Colossians chapter uh, 3, okay, Colossians 3, you know, there's a lot of relationship between Ephesians and Colossians. I don't know if you're familiar with that. A lot of very similar things there. In Colossians chapter 3, uh, we read here, in verse 9, do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and uh, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Messiah uh, is all and all in all. Uh, and then he goes on to say, and so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. That's one of my favorites. Putting up with one another, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so should you. And put on love, the perfect bond of unity. And, you know, it's like one uh, run-on sentence with a thousand words in it, right? Uh, and so we see that there is a way to live. But uh, and then um, there's there's one more in uh, first I might as well read it in First Thessalonians five, so we have the complete set, okay? In First Thessalonians five, in verses eight and nine. But since we are of the day, notice that's the same thing that you read in Romans of the day. The day is coming. Walk as uh, you know. Put on the armor of light. Walk in the day. Okay. Since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Okay? Uh, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. All right. So clearly you see it. Uh, this, there is a putting off and a putting on. But I wanted to go back to just a little phrase in Colossians, a great word of encouragement to us. When it says, back in verse 10 of chapter 3, and have put on the new self which is being renewed. Being renewed. We're not all the way there yet. No one is all the way, the, no one is all the way there yet. 
no one has arrived, if you know what I'm trying to say, right? Uh, and so, uh, so important for us to recognize that, uh, that uh, there are many who spend a lifetime dealing with issues of putting off and putting on, uh, putting on and then putting off again and putting on. Uh, and, uh, you know, we read in another place in Galatians about the war, the war between the flesh and the spirit and, and all of that. But the wonderful thing is, is that we have an assurance from the Lord, uh, you know, that as we know him, he is in the process he is in the process of discipling us. He is in the process of renewing us, right? Sanctifying us uh, is a word we often like to use. And we're all on different places on the continuum, right? We all have different journey stories. Think about the two fine men who are immersed on Sunday. Very different journey stories, right? Uh, very different testimonies. Very, uh, uh, very different ways that, that God is in the process of, uh, of moving us uh, forward. Think about Israel. Is this the only place where uh, we read, remove the foreign gods? I don't think so. Uh, just read the prophets, you know, any of them, <laughs> right? Uh, the prophets are all full of repent, repent, repent. And it was the first word, by, by the way, out of John the Baptist's mouth, and the first word out of Yeshua's mouth that we read anyway, is the word repent, right? Uh, turn from your sins. Turn from your sins. Very, very important. Okay, so now uh, getting back here in verse 3, now in uh, chapter 35 of Genesis, it says, Let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. What a statement. He has had a rough time since his last visit to Bethel. Like 20 years, you know, with uh, Laban. Uh, and then this horrible thing that happens to his daughter, right? Uh, and, uh, and all kinds of things. God has been with me wherever I have gone. God has answered me in the day of my distress. You know, we don't read that Jacob wrote any of the Psalms. Too bad, right? Uh, because some of them would have really fit real well in his life, uh, where we read about God rescuing me in my distress. You know, um, one uh, passage I like to read when I visit uh, the hospital, there's a lot of good Psalms, but Psalm 30 is a real good one. In that regard, you know, Psalm 30, even though it's, it says a song at the dedication of the house, which is fine and dandy, but it's a really great psalm of hope and, and, and encouragement and deliverance and a prayer also that God would hear. I will extol thee, O God, for, for you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you did heal me. O oh Lord, thou hast brought my soul up from the pit, up from Sheol. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. You know, a friend of mine in another city, I uh, uh, told me a story of how she was um, uh, uh, 
talking to a relative of hers. Uh, and the relative had done something really bad. They're all believers, all Messiah followers. But the person had done something really bad. And so I said, so what did you say? You know, what did you say? And she said, you know, uh, uh, she said, this is what she said to, this, to her relative. Right now, there's anger and disappointment, but, you know, that will, pa- that will, event- that will pass. But our love for you is always, you know? And I thought, wow, that was really a good thing to say. That's being honest, you know? In other words, it's not like, oh, I, I love you. For, let's just forget about it. But it's, uh, you know, yes, there's anger and disappointment. And look what's happened, you know? But that will pass. But know that my love for you is always. That's a, I thought that was really very good. It doesn't pertain to anybody that's here. I just want you to know that, okay? I mean, it may, it may apply, but I'm not talking about anybody who's here. I promise you that, okay? Uh, but um, it really is great, and that is uh, the story. That's what uh, uh, this says. His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Now, the moment is, is poetic. It might be a little bit more than a moment. But the point is that his favor is for a lifetime. This is very similar to something we'll be saying a number of times over these holidays. And that is in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 7. God, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. The point is here is that he is abounding in loving kindness and truth, and keeps loving kindness for thousands and forgives iniquity. But he does deal with transgression and sin. But it is limited. But his loving kindness is abounding, uh, overarching. It's supposed to be a comparison. That's the point of the passage. Okay, Uh, Very, very important, because that is often taken in a variety of different ways. But... It is showing his abounding loving kindness and his great forgiveness. And so back there in Psalm 30, we see, again, his anger is for a moment, his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a a shout of joy comes uh, in the morning. But then it says, now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. O Lord, by your favor, thou hast made my mountain stand strong. But then it says, you did hide your face, and I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called, and to the Lord I made supplication. What pr- and then this great uh, uh, negotiating uh, 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 verse. What good is it, or what profit is there in my blood if I die? <laughs> if I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it declare thy faithfulness? And it was, Let me live, and I will give you praise. And so then at the end, you have this prayer, having, having said all of that and having that memory of, of God's redemption in times past and, and, and knowing that joy comes in the morning and all that, he then says, hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. Thou hast turned to me my morning into dancing. Thou hast loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. That, that, that my soul may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to thee forevermore. 
So at the beginning he says, hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. Because again, he knows God's track record. He knows that God has indeed been gracious. That, but but it, is, it is a prayer, O Lord, heal, you know, hear me. And, and so you have this back and forth. And, and so here, Jacob, I, I, here he says, in the day of my distress, God answered me in the day of my distress. So he's saying, I really have been distressed. It's not in the day that I felt kind of bad about maybe becoming distressed. I was distressed. And if you've ever been distressed, you know what it means when you're in the middle of it. Okay? He answered me in that day, and he's been with me wherever I have gone. What a great statement of faith. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods, which they had, and the rings which were on their ears, also, you know, uh, 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 articles uh, having to do with foreign worship. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, and then they went away from it, you know, they went away from it. As they journeyed, there was a great terror upon the cities which were around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. God showed them great mercy. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, the God of Bethel, because there God revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. He remembers this place. Sometimes we have to go back to that place where we, you know, where we have been redeemed to kind of remember it and to start over again with God. Uh, whether we do that physically or maybe just in our memory and thinking about it, you know. Now Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died. She was buried below Bethel under the oak, and it was named Alon Baku. You know, we read about famous people. We don't know too much about their death, but this Deborah, this is not Deborah the judge Deborah or any relative of hers, okay? But this obscure person, right? So it seems, uh, generally speaking, what most believe about this is that perhaps... And it has to be perhaps, because no one really knows exactly for sure, but perhaps she was from Padana Ram, and it's sort of like the, the, the past is all dying off. Every, what's related to the past is dying off. Could be, okay? Or it could uh, be a note about a place that was well known uh, at the time, and so it's sort of like a landmark, uh, perhaps. It's kind of interesting. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram, and he blessed him, showed him favor, right? And God said to him, your name is Jacob. You, should no longer be, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. All right, so we saw this before. Here is when it is confirmed. Here is when this is now confirmed his name. And if you remember... Uh, it, you know, uh, Sarah, Yisara, El, uh, contending with God or God contends. Remember, I'm not going to repeat the whole thing. You could go back to, uh, the, you know, the, the uh, previous uh, message on this, that uh, uh, this is like the name of Israel, that uh, God contends with the people, the people contend with, uh, with God, and demonstrated in that wrestling, in that wrestling, that painful 
that painful uh, wrestling. And the, if you read the history of the Jewish people from this time forward, it is painful. It is a painful history. But yet God has been faithful all the way through, right? And uh, that may be our story uh, indeed as well. And notice here, now his name has changed. But now the whole point of it is not about the etymology of the word, but about his destiny, what the name signifies, okay? And so you see it here. Israel shall be your name. Then he called him Yisrael. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come forth from you. And the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give it to you. And I will give the land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken to him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a libation on it, like a water offering, and he poured oil on it as well. So Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. Okay. Now, so uh, what the name signifies now, confirmed, is this is your destiny. And we don't have time, but you could read the first eight chapters of Genesis 17, and Genesis 28, verses 3 to 5, and you will see that this is the promise that God made to Abraham and that Isaac confirms to Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now God says, this is your destiny. And isn't it true for all of us that God has given us a destiny in him? You know, it was not about God has, Jacob, God has a wonderful plan for your life. It was, no, you have a destiny. You are called to be the father of a people uh, who are going to bring the Messiah and turn the world upside down. Uh, and God has called all of us to be a part of that calling, not necessarily ethnically or biologically, or, you know, maybe you got that 2%, okay, but, uh, but uh, spiritually in the Lord. That is uh, whom God calls us uh, indeed to be warts and all, just like Jacob, just like all of them, warts and all, right? And God never gives up on us because we're part of what he's doing and nothing is going to deter what he's doing, right? Uh, and, uh, and so be encouraged, you know, in that, um, in, in that way. This is indeed the calling on Jacob's life and the calling on his descendants. It is the calling on the, the life of the Jewish people. The majority of uh, Israel uh, is not walking in that calling, but a remnant, just as we read in the prophets, but a remnant. And those from the nations who are called by God's name uh, also uh, uh, that uh, uh, are participating in that, in that calling. And that is indeed uh, uh, our, our calling uh, uh, to be a light, you know, in that way. All right. Uh, then just finally here, there's a couple of other things that happen. Uh, one is, is that Rachel dies. Rachel dies giving birth to uh, uh, Benjamin. Benjamin, the only child born in Canaan, by the way. Okay? So if you're ever on Jeopardy, you'll get that. Okay. I, I, uh, but, but notice his birth name, right? I'll bet some of us have a birth name that we're not called by. 
Well, same thing with uh, uh, Benjamin, right? Uh, Ben-Oni, Ben-Oni, that, uh, you know, son of my sorrow, okay? Uh, but his father called him Benjamin, uh, which can have, again, uh, there's different theories on exactly what that means, but uh, Ben-Yomin, son of, of days, or son of perhaps meaning the son of my old age, you know, uh, the son of days. So Rachel died, was buried on the way to, to Ephra, that is uh, uh, Bethlehem. Jacob set up a pillar over her grave, that is a pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. And, I, I, you know, I, there is a place in Israel right now called, uh, you know, the tomb of Rachel or the grave of Rachel, the pillar of, uh, of, uh, of Rachel. And actually, among uh, certain groups of Jewish people, during the month of Elul, you go there, you know, and, uh, and pray. It's kind of interesting. All right. So basically, we see that it's sort of like the end of the story. Rachel is dead. Leah is already dead. Uh, the, uh, the last son is born, right? Uh, and then there's one more thing that happens. It says, And it came about while Israel was dwelling in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. First time she's called a concubine. And Israel heard of it. Okay. So that was bad. Uh, what's going on there? Perhaps what's happening is Reuben, the firstborn, is making a power play uh, uh, here by uh, going in with Bilhah. Uh, and, uh, and, and that he has... It's, it's not so much about sexuality as it is about politics uh, and power uh, in the family. Uh, and just like his uh, brothers, uh, uh, Simeon and Levi, this comes back to haunt, them and haunt him because, again, back in, uh, or for, further along in Genesis chapter 49, when Jacob lays out the, uh, the destiny of the sons, uh, the first son we read here, Reuben, you are my firstborn, Genesis 49.3, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my mighty and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. And, uh, and so there, that's it's there to tell us this. So we have the documentation of it, right? Uh, and then we read uh, about the sons. But it's interesting the way the sons are written about. Not so much these are the sons of Jacob, but these are the sons of Leah. These are the sons of Rachel, uh, whose mother is who? This is very important when we come to the story of Joseph, the alignment of brothers, who is a full brother and who is a half-brother, is very important in understanding what's going on in the story of Joseph. And then we read, for, for the sake of continuity, perhaps, or context, about the death of Isaac, but he's not dead yet. But we read here about the death of Isaac, okay? I, I, Isaac lived 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, an old man, ripe old age. And then it says his sons Esau and Jacob buried him, just like Ishmael and Isaac. There's nothing like the death of a parent to bring siblings together, okay? Uh, and, and I think that's kind of important because 
uh, you read here about uh, reconciliations. In Genesis, you read about reconciliations of brothers who don't get along more than a couple of times. And it seems that Jacob and Esau have this reconciliation from chapter 33, but here we see that Jacob and Esau, they came together and buried their father. And so you see that reconciliation. And again, it's the end of the story of Jacob and Esau. Then all I'll say here is in chapter 36, you have the, uh, you have the genealogy of Esau. And at the very end of it, we read that these are the chiefs of, of Edom. That is Esau, the father of the Edomites, according to their habitation in the land of their possession. And so it brings us to the end of the Jacob story. Uh, and uh, in, in that sense, where he's the central character. Uh, and so what do we learn here? Uh, we learn that uh, Jacob is far from perfect. Jacob is not the dastardly human being that he's made out to be, but far from perfect, right? Uh, uh, and he, he faces great adversity in his life, but he knows that God is with him. And he knows that the promise of God never leaves him. And, uh, and he's given this destiny. And in this last part, we see where he tells him to put away the, the foreign gods and live in a certain way. And so, in a way, we're all like Jacob, as we've said before. We're all kind of Jacob, where we wrestle, we have pain, we have joy, we have victories, but we keep moving forward, knowing that God will never leave us or forsake us, knowing that the promises of God are true, that we have indeed a living hope. It motivated Jacob in his life, but notice, in his life, he did not see kings. In his life, he did not see all the descendants. God does give him some nachas at the end of his life. God does give him some great joy at the end of his life. But he still is going to go through another fire before he gets there, as, as we know. And, and so, let not our current circumstances define uh, who uh, define our relationship with God, but know that for all of us there is indeed that living hope. Let us put away the foreign gods. Let us uh, change our clothes constantly. And at this time of year, may we begin the process of undergoing renewal, restoration, redemption, and, and a fresh uh, new start as, uh, as it seems what is taking place at Bethel. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you, Lord, that uh, we do see that in, in Jacob's old age, you give him, a, you give him a, a son, Benjamin, little Benjamin. Lord, you give him uh, some joy. Lord, and thank you, God, that, that there will be also more joy at, at the end of his life. But Lord, I pray for all of us, uh, as through one way or another, we, we are faced with challenges. Some are more severe than others, but we all face challenges in our lives. Lord, let us, let us know, Lord, that you will see us through these challenges and that you hear our prayers and that you do heal us and you do deliver us, oh Lord. Uh, and while we may be weeping, we know that there is joy that is coming. Lord, while there may be anger, we know that you turn our mourning into the, the morning into dancing. Lord, we pray, God, 
uh, that uh, you would uh, give us, Lord, a deliverance, uh, God, uh, and that uh, we uh, would be free to worship you. And Lord, we do pray, God, that you would bring answers to our prayers, uh, Lord. And we pray, God, even for those that are struggling in, in this, uh, Lord, that you may indeed deliver them, even today. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.